0: Hey, beautiful. You are listening to the Africana Woman podcast. I am your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. (laughs) I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie it may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Ooh, we need to jump straight into this conversation. You know, my guest and I talked about so many things that are so passionate to me and one of those things is education you know i work and i volunteer in the education space quite extensively and i focus on the age group of around 15 to 19 years and this is because those are the formative years of a young mind so it is so important to help young people really have a strong sense of pride of their identity and just love their nation. But popular media would have us believe that we should be ashamed to be African, that there is nothing to be proud of when we say we're African, or that the only story Africa has to tell is of poverty and suffering. But we know that is not true. Yet somewhere along the way we have forgotten to tell our children that. We have not done a good job of celebrating Africa with the younger generations. Now, you see, I can easily go on a rant about this, but I won't. <laughs> Instead, please welcome to the Africana woman, Mike, Sandra Chuma, the Habits Coach from the great nation of Zimbabwe. This was our conversation. Shuma is an entrepreneur, speaker, coach, podcast host, and award-winning documentary filmmaker. She believes that our greatest responsibility is to share our stories so we can inspire and create possibility for others. Sandra, welcome to the Africana Woman podcast. I am quite excited that you are here on this platform. I think when I first um, came across Indini podcast and consequently you, one of the things that really, really um, had me in awe was the excellence that you exude on your podcast and also the the, the regality and dignity that you give to African women's stories to so I just want you to know that you being here is actually um, quite an honor for me and I'm so so excited and so so grateful that you are here to share your story so welcome
1: thank you and it is an honor for me to be here because you know, we we often look at other people who are maybe a little bit further ahead or what, but what I see in you is what you are doing with your platform and how you are a voice and a platform to inspire, to empower, to uplift African women. And I think the more of us who can do that, um, it's it can only lead to good things. And so I'm honored to, to have been invited to be on this podcast. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, okay, so we heard a snippet of your bio but in your own words can you tell us your story
1: this this question honestly because I've done so many interviews this is a question that I literally have anxiety about so I'm like what do I say because <laughs> I never know where to start um at the at its core I'm a girl from Zimbabwe. I am proudly Zimbabwean, will always be proudly Zimbabwean. So I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. And one of the things that I'm incredibly proud of is where I come from. Because mm. you know, I think it's Maya Angelou who said, you know, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. 10, 10, and I know that for me to be sitting here in this moment, having this conversation with you, there are so many people whose shoulders I stand on. And so that's why I tell you that I am proudly Zimbabwean because of everything it has taken, all the generations it has taken for me to be here. Um, And so I'm Zimbabwean, born and raised, um, and then I eventually uh, moved to the UK and studied in the UK, eventually moved to Canada, and then on to the United States. And I've had, um, I've had, it feels like I've lived many lives because I've had many different careers over the course of time. And that's one of the things that, you know, um, I believe that people, need to get comfortable with I think often we think that there's one purpose and one path that we must follow Mm -hmm. but it's being open to in different seasons of my life different things were my purpose you know I went from being I worked in fast food. I remember working, you know, flipping fries and burgers and Burger King. (laughs) So I can tell you exactly how many grams of lettuce, mayonnaise, tomato, go in a (laughs) whopper. And then moving on, I worked in banking. Um, I eventually um, became a management consultant and business advisor. So working with Fortune 500 companies um, Mm -hmm. and working with global companies, But, and then um, moved on to eventually creating my own company with my husband. So again, in that same space of management consulting, um, Mm -hmm. advising. And what I found eventually was that all of the things that I had aspired to, there came a point in time where, you know, I had a nice house, lived in a, drove a nice car, went on vacations, bought nice shoes. And what I realized is the things that I thought defined success were not necessarily what success truly was. And that chapter in my life was really what led to me questioning, what is my purpose and why Mm. am I here? And what is the impact that I want to have? And, you know just as I said that you know I stand on the shoulders of those who came before me I thought about what do I want to pass forward to my daughter my nieces and their children how will they remember that I was here and and that ultimately led to me realizing that part of what my purpose is is to help to inspire other women to step into their possibility mm. And that then became the birth of the Ndini platform, which is really mm. focused on the stories of
0: African women. Mm. Um, I read somewhere that you, um, you know, from when you were a child, one of your fond memories is listening to your grandmother tell folk tales. Um, I don't want to butcher how it's said in Shona, it's Ngano. You've said it perfectly. <laughs> but I was just. (laughs) perfect I was curious which was your favorite folktale
1: you know my both of my grandmothers and I'd love to just honor them and who they were and my mother as well Um, both of my grandmothers were women who suffered incredible hardship in their lives. You know, when I was Mm -hmm. born and being raised, the country that I'm from, Zimbabwe at that time was Rhodesia. So it was a segregated country. And so Mm -hmm. neither one of them ever had the opportunity to go to school. Neither one of them was educated. They grew Mm -hmm. up in incredible poverty. My mother's mother worked as a housemaid all of her years for a white family in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And my father's mother, um, unfortunately, my father's father died before my father was born. So when my Mm -hmm. grandmother was pregnant with my father. So he grew up never knowing his father. And so he had a mother who had to raise him on her own. But these women were incredible women of resilience, of courage. And they also dreamt dreams that were bigger than their life circumstances. You know, they mm-hmm. were the first people who ever said to me, you know, Sandra, one day you're going to go abroad. And one day, you know, you're going to, um, you know, live in a big house and all of the things. Yeah. that were doing. So I think for me, that was the story they told us you know the usual stories that we all have Mm -hmm. in African culture you know all the stories of the tortoise and the hare and Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of stories but I think for me the story that they spoke and which ultimately I think played a big part in shaping who I've become and the dreams that I could dream was them speaking the stories of possibility that even though my grandmother only knew what this, you know, big house in the suburbs on a tree-lined street was mm. because she went to work there, that she dreamed that me, her grandchild, could live in that house. So I think those, for me, were, were the most impactful stories.
0: Mm. Yeah, that that is really um, amazing that they spoke, um, literally spoke life into you and just made you think bigger, dream bigger. And um, I think that is a blessing in itself. Um, As somebody who is very well traveled um, and at the beginning you did state that you are proudly a Zimbabwean woman. Was there ever a moment that you felt your identity was um, threatened?
1: Gosh, so much. And I now sit and I speak from a position of, you know, having life experience. And Mm -hmm. also, I think really coming to a place of understanding my story,
0: but it Mm. wasn't
1: always that way. I know that when I very first went to the UK, for example, to live there, you know, when in the Western world, and sometimes I don't fault the general public in the western world because the stories they hear the only stories that you know most mainstream media shares are the stories of struggle and strife and dictators and and Mm -hmm. you know all of those things and so those were the stories that the people that I went to interact with when I was in the UK knew right so when they yep. looked at me they looked at me from a place of pity from a place of you know looking down on me that oh you know mm. she's just from Africa and so for many years I I, I denied my Africanness you know it mm-hmm. wasn't something that I would share with people that I was from Africa and because you know, <laughs> thanks to our colonial masters <laughs> in zimbabwe i spoke english very well and also based on the sacrifice that had been made by you know my parents to send me to the best schools that they really couldn't even afford you know that they'd really sacrificed to send me to good school. so i spoke well so mm-hmm. as you remember when i very first went to the uk um, people would laugh at me would make fun of my accent not because mm-hmm. i but because I sounded, as they said, proper, I spoke Queen's English. And they were like, you speak so proper. And they would make fun of me. Um, And so because of that, people never quite could place, I think there was an assumption about what Mm -hmm. an African person sounded like. So they could never place where I was from. So for many years, I wouldn't tell people that I was Zimbabwean or that I was from Africa. And it's, it only when I really started in the workforce and I realized that my story and where I'd come from was my power. That was mm. my superpower because here I was working side by side, getting promoted, you know, doing well in my career. And I'm stacked up against people who'd grown up with every privilege that I didn't have, who'd gone to schools that were you know, better than anything I could ever have dreamed of. And yet I could stand toe to toe, pound for pound with them. And that's when I realized, you know what? I had to come from way back to get here. And I, I'm dishonoring the sacrifice of everybody who put into me, you know, you know, in in Africa, we talk about takes a village to raise a child, all of those people who had contributed in whether it be monetary means, or whether it be just in terms of their words or encouragement. And I was denying their existence Mm -hmm. and denying that who I was and who I am was because of them. So that for me then became, whoa. Me being African, me being mm-hmm. Zimbabwean, is actually a superpower. Cause look where I came from, and I can stand here with the best of you. So that really was the shift in 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 me recognizing the power of my story.
0: Oh wow. Um... I know one we have something in common we're both uh, we went to convent schools <laughs> and um I you know and I know that you know the you know the the many African parents' dreams are you know I'm gonna send my children to study abroad, and I really want the best for them. And um, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your experiences, especially when you just um went to the UK because at at some point, I think it's a bit fantasized um that experience in um, you know, living abroad and all of that. And I just wanted to hear what your experiences were coming, um, you know, straight from Zimbabwe, first time traveling out at a young age, I'd imagine probably 18 or so, you know, late teens. What was that experience like for you?
1: I love what you said that, The experience of going abroad is fantasized. I think that, you know, like I said, you know, my grandmother's growing up, neither one of them ever went on an airplane. So they had no idea. Neither one of them ever went abroad. So they had no idea. Mm. It was just this fantasy place. And I think that especially if you think about culture and movies and the things that we're exposed to, it's always Mm. that, oh, over there and the things they have over there are better right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we've created this culture. And, and and I also think that the Western word world of course benefits by selling us this culture that they're better. Mm-hmm. We've created this culture where our young people think that for you to be successful, for you to, you know, the definition of success is to go abroad and to learn abroad. And I will tell you that Yes, because those economies are so much more advanced than we are. If you think about how long has the United States been the United States, how long Mm has the UK? And also if you think about, just to get political for a second, if you think about how some of those countries were built and where the resources came from, Mm -hmm. of course they have more, of course they're more advanced, their social structures are more advanced, their buildings, Mm -hmm. their whatever are more advanced, but that's just because they started before we did. And yet, you know, one of the things that I have come to appreciate so much is our culture. If you think about all of the the conversation that happens around cultural, you know, misappropriation, look at all the things that all of those countries we quote unquote admire, borrow from our culture. So Mm. I really think that that for me, and again, it's something that's come with age, you know, that Mm. realization that, where i came from is actually pretty cool right it's actually a pretty cool place what challenges us you know unfortunately is for example my home country in zimbabwe economically it's not a great place to be. So, from an opportunities perspective, like a, 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 my cousin, you know, who's growing up in 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 a, even in an urban area, is going to have less opportunities than a kid who's growing up in you know Toronto or New York mm. or wherever, mm. just by virtue of resources. You know, mm. um, I remember growing up, and I'm sure you remember this at convent how. You weren't allowed to write in the textbooks because it had to oh, be yeah. passed on to the next year and the next year. So you were getting a textbook that sometimes was five editions behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've updated five, but because of resources, you know, we just don't have the access to resources. So I think that for me is, I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of how mm-hmm. do we allow our young generation to realize that our countries actually are, oh, are really cool and we have a lot going for us and it just really is how do we bring all of the education and the technology and, mm. and infrastructure mm. to our African countries because gosh if we had a level playing field just one of the things that I'm always so inspired by is you look at how little resources we have in many of our African countries mm. and yet you look at what our people are able to produce You know, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. You go home and someone's rigged up this and that, and they've taken this and then added it, and now they have something that works because they Mm -hmm. had to. So think of all that ingenuity if they had the resources. So yeah, I'm kind of going... (laughs) Rambling here, but it's yeah. It's, no, it's- but I love it. I, I you know when
0: you try, but you, as you said, it it's something that you have come to appreciate with time. And even now, um, I mentor a number of students, and you know I have these conversations with them, and just trying to make them appreciate the things that are around them. It it will it, take time because this is something that has been ingrained in them for you know now it's fifty. 15 years. Um, and in addition, their parents um, are also, you know, they, they see what their, their parents are doing, they, they hear what the parents are talking about, you know. Um, I, I, I was just advising some parents that, you know, yes, you know, our economy and maybe the politics may be bad, but then if you just focus and your conversations are always on those negative things. When will your children hear you praising the country? Yeah. They need to hear that validation from you. Yeah. That's where it starts from, you know. That's what's so What's happening true. in the home?
1: So true, and it's actually part of why I created Ndini because, from mm. myself, like I said, I went, you know, overseas. I went to the UK, and nowhere did I see women who looked like me who were from Mm -hmm. africa who were being you know spoken about in a positive light the only time i ever Mm -hmm. saw african people was you know aid organization ads with Mm. the emaciated woman with the emaciated baby fly on mouth that those were the only images i ever saw and and I was thinking about it that wow my nieces my daughter they're growing up in a world where that's the Africa they know that's the only thing they know is oh they struggle mm-hmm. and strife and mm-hmm. you know and then even when you think about you know like how can they be enticed or how can they even want to come to Africa if they're living abroad because mm-hmm. like, oh no like it's, it's it's not a nice place it's just war and famine and so that's why I created Ndini was because. I know there are amazing women in Africa who are Africans in Africa and Mm -hmm. African diaspora who are doing incredible things. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to share those stories to say, look, (laughs) there are people, there is possibility, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think another um, which I just wanted to touch on real quickly before we move on is you know when um, students go study abroad. I know that you were work, you were in school full time, and you were um, working two jobs. For, you know, and there's almost a sense of entitlement when people, when you know, young people, this young generation go abroad, where they think, oh, it should just all be handed to me, and I don't. Uh, i I don't need to participate in building my future. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that. <laughs>
1: wow you really did your research yeah you know like when I was in university I actually worked at one point I worked three jobs to put my because because you can imagine I went to UK. I didn't have any access to funding didn't have any grants or anything that I could that I was eligible Mm. for and my parents weren't in a position to be able to send me any money to help me through school so I had to work so you know Mm -hmm. I worked at Burger King I worked at Pizza Hut I cleaned I did did all the things. there's no, and this is one of the things that I think sometimes you know w- w- we we look down. And I I couldn't possibly clean. I have cleaned toilets. I have cl- like done everything yep. that you can do because that's what I needed to do. And here's one thing that I will say is that it was. Literally, some of the best lessons I learned in mm. life about work ethic, about showing up, you know, about discipline, um, about, and even learning from, like, as, you know, as I say, working at Berkeley, like, oh, that's customer service. Oh, you go tell your customer that their meal is delayed. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. You like all of these things that I learned that I could not have learned any other way. And I, I agree with you that our young generation has to realize that there is nothing that's going to be handed you on a silver to you on a silver platter. And that applies whether you're African or even, like, like I said, I was working at Burger King and I was working alongside kids who were British and whatever, who were also working. Fair enough, their circumstances might've been different in that, yeah, they might've had one grant or some scholarship and they were just topping up. But I I think that it's this entitlement culture is so harmful to all of us that you do have to work. Nothing, there's nothing, even if the people we admire, you know, I think of, you know, like, I don't know, like Oprah Winfrey, nothing was Mm -hmm. handed to her. She had to work. If I look at from my own home country, you know, Strive and Tsitsi Masiwa, nothing was handed to them they had to work to become we just we admire the end result but we mm-hmm. don't want to think about the work that went into getting to that end result
0: mm-hmm. so true so you know one of the things that I actually really like about you is uh when you talk about your husband and you know you, <laughs> you talk so fondly about him uh, I wanted to find out from you um what's uh what role has culture especially you know your african culture played in your marriage and being in foreign countries
1: oh it's a, it's an interesting one and and it's an
0: interesting one too from the
1: perspective of this is actually a conversation he and i were having the other day about would we be different in our relationship had we mm-hmm. lived in africa you know in in our married years um I think ultimately culture still plays a huge part. Like for me, when I go home to Zimbabwe, I'm mm. a Zimbabwean woman. And I recognize yeah. that, you know, there's a, the, the saying that when in Rome, you do as the Romans do. So who I am and how I behave, um, I have to respect my culture. I have to respect that whether I agree with everything or not, there is an element of culture which, it, which makes up who we are. And mm-hmm. so I'm blessed that um, even though I, I have huge respect for my culture and where I'm from, that my husband is not his mindset is he's not a patriarchal like you are less than me and mm-hmm. you know and i that, that has played a huge part too in who i've become and what has been accessible to me in terms of he mm-hmm. has pushed me in some ways to almost wanting me to be more educated because he he recognizes that as a woman I face very Mm. unique challenges. And this is not just as an African woman, but Mm -hmm. not just as a black woman, but Mm -hmm. as a woman period in the world, I face unique challenges. So he's very much of an open mindset. And I also think that for him, um, where he's from and how he was raised Mm -hmm. really shaped the way that he thinks, because You know, if I think about how they grew up, he's one of six Mm -hmm. kids. And in their home, he has two sisters and four brothers. They were Mm -hmm. all, his mom and his dad treated them all equally. Everybody Uh had to chip in, everybody Mm -hmm. had to clean, everybody had to know how to cook. (laughs) So all of my brothers in law, sometimes they'll come visit and they will cook for me. Oh, that's so nice. And they've never, I've never been, you know, treated in terms of, you know, culturally. Oh, you're less than. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's truly been for me a blessing. And I'm, I don't believe from my husband that, yes, of course, living in the Western world has somewhat influenced that, but it really was how he was raised mm-hmm. in, in their home. Yeah.
0: Girl, after the year we just had. I know as an entrepreneur and a leader, things got real lonely, really fast. Uncertainty has become the order of the day and yet we must continue to not only survive but thrive. So as a leader, who do you turn to to fill your cup? To give you inspiration, to teach you and to mentor you? We have created a community just for this very reason to support each other to hold each other accountable and to be each other's cheerleaders this group is called the africana woman visionaries because we're looking past the storm and are focused on the vision we have for our companies and the african continent join the africana woman visionaries free facebook group to learn more now back to the conversation so what does education mean to you and what has it done for you? You know,
1: I, again, if I go back to the story of my grandmothers, my grandparents, even my parents and the sacrifice, you know, convent girl, you know, convent fees were yeah. not cheap. It was no. a huge deal to get into convent. So it was yeah. always a sacrifice for them to put me through school. And, mm-hmm. but again, for them, they recognized or realized the power of education and that being mm-hmm. educated would stand me. It, it opens the doors, you mm-hmm. know. Um, nowadays, I think though the world is shifting. I really mm-hmm. think that the world is shifting. Okay. Before, you know, you had to have your, your CV, your resume, you had to say, you had a degree, you had to have check all these boxes in terms of your education. But mm-hmm. if you look now at the entrepreneurs who are coming up in the world, many of them don't have a degree, right? Many of them have learned or built businesses on the job, mm-hmm. on, you know, all of those things. So I think that we're at a crossroads, not yeah. just as African people, but I think as a world where mm-hmm. we have to question, does it make sense for, you know, uh, you to go into debt to get a degree what does it now mean for you to have a degree and are there other ways that you can get an education that it doesn't necessarily have to just be formal classroom learning? Mm. And I think as well, um, a huge thing that is starting to democratize learning is the Mm -hmm. internet, Yes. Because if you think about you can go on the internet and learn how to do anything. I'm making. There I mean, is a video. <laughs> that will show you how to do brain surgery. You know what I mean? Like you can learn yeah. anything from YouTube. So I think that's shifting the definition of education. And I think also as employers, like for myself in, in, in our company with my husband, we're shifting mm-hmm. our emphasis from, you know, do you have a piece of paper from a university that says yeah. you know how to do stuff to more. Oh, you have experience. Okay, tell me about that experience. I, I think mm-hmm. the world is shifting.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to ask, you know, I found it interesting that, um, you know, you had decided to go back to um, university um, for journalism. And around this. Oh,
1: say it. Say it. Yes. When you were 40.
0: (laughs) But what was even more fascinating for me was that your daughter was also ready to start university, so you're going to be a freshman the same year. <laughs> I don't think actually, my son would let, actually, me let me live yeah. it
1: down. <laughs> she was actually already in university, so and here's the funny uh, thing. Love. Um, you know, I had I was the, I had classmates who I have one particular classmate who I just adore her. She's also from Zimbabwe. Yeah. Her name is Tariro, and she's now. High flying mm. journalist at the New York Times, but she was younger than my daughter and she's my classmate. So I, I refer yeah. to her as my forever baby because she, <laughs> she my baby. Like in class, we'd be sitting next to each other. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're younger than my daughter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it was so, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I was thinking, like, I don't think my son would let me live that down. But anyway, that aside, <laughs> what is that one lesson that you um, hope that your daughter has learned from you um, over the years? That you are infinite possibility. That mm. I think our greatest
1: limits, the greatest prisons we put ourselves exist in our minds you know that mm. anything is possible that it really is about believing like if, if you're willing to believe if you're willing to do the work then mm. anything is possible and I think that's that's really what I would love for any young person to know and any old person heck I was 40 when <laughs> I went back to school that is never yeah. too late and that mm. if you can dream it i think was it einstein who said or pablo picasso who said that you know if everything you can imagine is real so if you can imagine it you can make it real if you're willing to put in the work
0: yeah yeah So true. So I just wanted to emphasize again, Sandra is an award-winning documentary filmmaker. And we are definitely going to talk about one of our documentaries, which is called Plus with uh, exclamation at the end. And it is about the fashion industry, you know, um, plus size models uh, or just plus size, clothing I guess in um, the fashion industry and I was just so curious why you chose that particular subject matter you know
1: well, you asked me about what were some of the things that I realized going abroad so when I was growing up in Zimbabwe it, the concept of someone being plus size or whatever that was actually like it was the more the merrier mm-hmm. right right <laughs> <You know? laughs> Was like That was like a mark of, first of all, it was a mark of, well, (laughs) you can afford to eat that good that you can put on weight. And then also like just culturally where I grew up, you know, the rounder the woman, the more curves, the better. And so I never growing up had the concept of, oh, I was overweight or it wasn't something that even entered my mind. And it wasn't until I went to the Western world, until I moved to the UK, and then I moved on to Canada and the United States, that I recognized and started to realize that, oh, being bigger or being curvaceous was not an attractive thing. That what Mm. they valued and based on what media portrayed was like straight, skinny, that's what was in. And it also stemmed from me shopping and so being a woman of Zimbabwean descent, I tend to have bigger hips and thighs yep. and, and smaller waist. And it was mm-hmm. hard to find clothes that fit. And mm-hmm. that for me was the first struggle was trying to find yeah. clothes. And so I went through a period of time where I was like, I need to lose weight. I need lose weight and trying to do all the diets and lose weight because somehow magically then I would now be attractive, which was weird because I already had a husband who <laughs> trusts me likes meat on his bones <laughs> but, but it was also then in just kind of seeing all the struggles and all the eating disorders and all the angst around weight and how you know size was treated in media and mm-hmm. so when i went to um journalism school one of the you know i, I started to think about gosh like does it be a really interesting documentary to 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 you know to do about the fact that in the united states or it, it, in north america in modeling terms when you mm. are a size um six eight you're considered plus size a size mm. like i would go to these photo shoots to film and the girl who was there was like oh she's plus size is a girl who like in my world is skinny and so that right. for me was and and the fact as well that you know 64 percent of North American women are a size 16 or bigger and yet mm-hmm. the fashion industry tells us that what's beautiful is not those people so there are these 64 percent of women who are constantly being told you're not beautiful. And when mm-hmm. you fit into this size zero, I'm like, what is a zero anyway? Like air, right. you know, it <laughs> will <you'll> be attractive. <laughs> and so it just really, for me was an interesting thing. And I I happened upon a community of women through Mm -hmm. uh, a a platform called Full Figured Fashion Week who Mm -hmm. were trying to buck the trend, who were trying to share a different narrative. And that Mm -hmm. then ultimately became the backdrop for this documentary that I made where it was really talking about how crazy this notion was that, you know, plus size, what is plus size and then how the fashion industry defines plus size
0: yeah yeah so if somebody was uh wanted to watch the documentary where do they where can they access it
1: this is an interesting one in that I sold the rights to um Mm -hmm. a a production company where they've not yet really put it out to release and so because I sold the rights you can see the trailer.
0: <laughs> I've know. seen the trailer.
1: <laughs> okay, we will be waiting, so and we'll be very excited. I will let you know. Let you know. <laughs> okay. But an- another um, documentary, actually, that I made, um, and this this one, I was again something that I, I loved, and and it was something uh, something that I I really felt compelled to explore is Mm -hmm. a documentary that I made with a fellow Zimbabwean who was my Mm -hmm. classmate, Nyasha Kadandara, who I just absolutely adore. And she was my, Jay still is one of my besties. And she's um, an amazing journalist. She's currently based in Kenya, has produced all kinds of reporting documentaries Mm -hmm. and and things. And her and I are hopefully one day gonna make a doc, we have an idea for a documentary that one day we're gonna make. But we did a documentary together, which was called um, Queens and Knights. And it mm-hmm. was about a, um, a, a rugby club in New mm-hmm. York, which calls themselves inclusive. And mm-hmm. part of why they call themselves inclusive is because they welcome everybody, regardless of age, race, sexual orientation, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's this really, it was this really interesting microcosm of, you know, people from different races, so Black people, white people, Latinas, all coming Mm -hmm. together for this team. And then also people of different sexual orientations. So, you know, gay people, straight people, and Mm -hmm. just telling their stories and how at the end of the day, we all have the same hopes, dreams, aspirations, regardless of what we look like or how we
0: identify. Yeah, yeah. And where, and is that available to to be viewed
1: anywhere yeah i think that one you can look it up on youtube it's called queens and knights and if you look up queens and knights and my name it should come up it was okay um uh it was actually um the bigger rights were bought by nbc sports um and but a short version of it is
0: available on youtube Okay, great, great. You know, last year, 2020, one of the words that just kept going around in everybody's mind is pivot, pivot, pivot. I think a lot of people are tired of pivot, but I really wanted to just dig a little bit deeper around, um, again, as we spoke earlier when you said that, you know, you made a pivot in your career and went into something completely different it was uncharted waters for you Uh, you know could you tell us (laughs) tell us a little bit um about you know what it why you were um you felt so strongly that you needed to change and you know what was that experience like
1: It ultimately, for me, came down to one word, and that's purpose. Mm -hmm. Why am Mm -hmm. I here? And it really stemmed from me asking myself the questions. Because as I said to you, you know, my husband and I created a company, and it very quickly became successful, much more successful than (laughs) we'd ever imagined when we were creating it. And so I very quickly then, you know, went from, you know, just being an employee and doing very well at at various companies and being an advisor to now owning a business, having employees of my own and running a business that became very successful. And it was in that because, you know, you kind of, as I said, growing up, the aspiration was, you know, buy a nice house, live in in a nice house neighborhood, you know, have a nice car and all of those and be able to go on holidays, a proper holiday. Mm -hmm. Like for me growing up, a holiday was you went to your cousin's house the (laughs) rural areas right yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like a proper holiday and so when i checked off all those boxes then the question i i couldn't figure out why i felt Mm. empty i felt Mm. unhappy because on paper i was successful i had Mm. the things that society said is success And so that really then became a a journey of self-exploration and digging into what is my purpose? Why am I here? And one of my guiding principles actually came from something my father used to say to me growing up all the time. My father used to say to me, you know, Sandra, to she who much is given, much is required and he said that to me often. And I, it was something that was also modeled for me by my parents that, you know, with what they had, they were always sharing, you know, trying to uplift others. And, and so it was something that I really grew up with. And that became the driver for me in terms of what do I want my life to mean? What's the Mm -hmm. legacy that I want to leave behind? And it, I, know it's not like the answer came to me you know overnight or the heavens opened and the angels sang it was really a journey of what what means something to me and it kept going back to who i am at my core and the fact that i am a girl from zimbabwe i'm a girl from africa and what do i do that'll make a difference to some somebody who i don't even knows life um and then when I went to university, actually when I went to journalism school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. I thought that I wanted to, you know, go and report on, you know, be like Christian Naman Po, Tumi Mahavo or you know, these people I admired, and um mm-hmm. um Justin Amkoko that I grew up seeing on TV. <laughs> and and it when I went to journalism school, I realized that my purpose was not Mm -hmm. to report on what had already happened which is what a lot of journalism is but my purpose was to use what I'd learned to create new narrative to create Mm -hmm. new stories that we could share about Mm -hmm. who we are because I think ultimately it comes down to you know we're talking about what our young people believe about going abroad and, and that life is somehow better when you go over there is really, what's the story that Mm -hmm. we can tell about ourselves? You know, there's that, I think an African saying, where as long as the hunter holds the pen, you know, the lion, they'll always glorify themselves. And so- If we flip the script and as Africans, we start to take back our own story, to tell our own stories. And so that became my compelling why, is how can Mm -hmm. I be a part of telling the stories of Africans in a new way with a different narrative. It's not to dispel or to say poverty doesn't exist. It does, not to say that we have problems in leadership and dictatorships and war, they, that exists but we're not one thing you know we're complex multifaceted and there is the good and there is also the bad and we need to be giving equal airtime to those all of those stories that make us African so that ultimately became my why.
0: Ah, so beautiful, so beautiful. Um, and this is a lovely place to where we'll start winding down. In the Africana woman community, we have a little saying that goes, know your roots, grow your purpose. So I have a few questions for you some quick fire questions well I don't know if it'll be quick fire but anyway I do have a few questions for you <laughs> is, is, just is to that wrap your, up
1: <laughs> is that you're cue to me to say
0: like answer shortly ma'am please no, no 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 I, I I love the the um I love it when you elaborate and give you know that um extra meat to the story I love it so here are the questions are you ready I'm ready Okay, great. (laughs) Um, Did you ever have, um, or what, did you ever have a weakness that has now become your superpower?
1: I'd say it was my story like that for me not owning who I was where I was from that was my weakness and that I, I tried to deny or or hide who I was and where I was from and it was only through growing up and maturity that I realized actually where I'm from and who I am and who my ancestors
0: were is my superpower. Yeah. And another uh, fun fact about Sandra is that her school reports always said that uh, Sandra talks a lot. So look at her now, teachers. (laughs)
1: Literally. (laughs) literally was on air you know when you you know when you had to bring your school report home like that was not a good day for me because it always it was at least i was consistent that's what i i now as a grown-up that's what i said to my mom right i was consistent like every report card said
0: sandra talks too much (laughs) much. (laughs) okay here's your second question what are you rooted to oh I'm rooted to possibility. I think Ooh, that has that's become good.
1: My, my touchstone, my anchor, my that anything is possible, that at, mm. it, anything is possible and, and being open to the possible.
0: Mm, mm, that's good. Um, what are your favorite ways to nourish your mind, body and spirit? Oh, my mind
1: is reading I read a lot and I actually um up yeah, super early because my days are so busy um I realized that you know trying to get reading in the only time that I could do was very first thing in the morning when everything's mm-hmm. quiet before the day starts. And so I get up extra early just so I can read. That's my pleasure. I also listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts mm-hmm. because I think it's such an easy way to consume, consume learning yeah. um, on the go while you're working, while you're doing other things. So for me, it's reading books and listening to books. I also listen to a lot of books and podcasts. And what I love too, if you think about it for me, and this is one thing that I think people, do, if you think about how long it takes an author to write a book, the amount, of mm. time, the amount of research, the amount of whatever, and then for whatever, $20, you literally have this person's whole life learning there for you to just take and, and yeah. take from it what you want. So yeah, for me, it's reading, listening to books and podcasts
0: lovely okay and this is
1: oh, the last yes, one about the other yeah, about the so that's my mind um my body <laughs> I probably eat way too many things that I I probably shouldn't be feeding my body but it's I'm really becoming more conscious of what I eat and why mm-hmm. I eat I think the why has become more important for me because I think it's it was so easy for me before just mindlessly be stuffing things. And I think the greatest, I had a coach who said, who taught me something that she said, when you're eating, use this um, mm-hmm. acronym HALT. She said, ask yourself <clears throat> these four questions. She okay. said, am mm-hmm. I hungry? Mm-hmm. Am I angry or anxious? Am I, um, um, oh, what's the L? Oh, it's going out of my mind. The T is... Oh gosh. And now completely messed it up. Sorry, Lisa, who taught me this. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I tired? Or Mm. am I um, lethargic or something like that? I forget what the L is. Gosh, I'm, I'm just blanking on, on what it means, but it was, it was a great thing for me to be aware of the reasons that I'm, I'm eating. And then in terms of mind body, and then my spirit is you know people like to call it fancy things meditation prayer <laughs> whatever yeah for me, it's really about getting still and listening mm-hmm. you know um I, I just having that time of just being still and listening to whatever is coming through to me from whatever words you want to use god the universe whatever i think that mm-hmm. for me is is um really important
0: awesome and your final question what do you know for sure
1: possibility
0: (laughs) word of the day yeah
1: possibility I know that anything Mm -hmm. is possible anything is possible there's so many things in my life that have happened that made that when you logically think about it make no sense but it truly is Mm. being open to possibility that's what I know for sure
0: Oh, Sandra, this has been an amazing hour. Well spent. Lots of wisdom <laughs> dropped, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Please let the audience know how they can find out more about what you are doing. And congratulations on your new certification as a, um, I won't get it wrong, a habits coach. Congratulations on that. <laughs> The, I, in yeah.
1: style I was you know I was talking about education earlier and like I literally feel like I'm just collecting all these things so I'm like a, I'm a life coach I'm a business coach I'm a habits coach I'm a productivity mm-hmm. coach like I have all these <laughs> certifications but it all comes together because one of the yeah. things that I love to do as well um, with all my platforms is to share to share information because I recognize again that I'm in a privileged place, you know, that the life I lead, the people I have access to, the information I have access to, not everyone does. And so when I learn, I pass it on because I want us all to learn. In terms of where you can find me and what I'm up to, um, Instagram. And Facebook are probably the best places. So on Instagram, I'm sandra.chuma. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Sandra, I'm on Facebook. Lord knows what that thing is. But if you go to my website, my website is sandra.chuma.com. Then you can find all of the things that I'm up to on my website. And also, oh, how could I not mention this? the platform that I'm so proud of, that I love, is called Ndini, which is spelled N-D-I-N-I. Ndini in my mother tongue, Shona, means I am. And it's back to possibility because I believe that our words have the power to shape our lives and to shape what is possible. And so when you say I am, those are literally the two most powerful words in the English dictionary because whatever you say after becomes it shapes your destiny so Ndini is I am and you can find Ndini on all the social media channels everywhere as Ndini media is where we're on Facebook on Instagram on Twitter our website is ndini.com
0: oh thank you Sandra thank you for being on the Africana Women podcast this has been an absolute pleasure okay
1: I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And to you, I say thank you. I am so proud of you because I know that it is no small feat to create a platform and, and all the work that goes into feeding a platform and putting content out and doing all the things. And so I truly respect you for what you are doing. And I am grateful. And I know that there are many people who will benefit from the work that you are doing.
0: Thank you. After listening to that conversation, I hope that you have a deeper gratitude and appreciation for the Africa that we call home. A few things that stood out for me that I would love for you to just think a little bit further about are, the first is... You know, the idea that there's nothing to celebrate about Africa. If we don't tell those good stories about our countries, about our continent, then guess what? The narrative about the place we call home will continue to remain negative. It actually reminds me of a campaign I once saw, which was done a few years ago. And it is called... This is My Kenya. I highly recommend you check it out. It's on YouTube. I shall also add the link in the show notes. And basically, the the video illustrates that it is only the people, it is the people that live in the places of interest who have the power to change the perception So speaking negatively is really just, it's a habit, and a habit can be changed. So can we get into the habit of saying something good, saying something positive about our countries, about our continent? And I'll remind you, and this is for parents, this is for parents specifically, please speak positively in front of your children you are the first person your children learn their pride for their country they learn it from you so the second thing i want you to consider is the idea of having to go into debt for an education you know whether it's private schools whether it is um universities abroad like African parents will go to no end to make sure their children are highly educated. And as Sandra so eloquently put it, education has become democratized in the age of internet. And it's given us access to alternative routes of education. So where employers are putting more value in experience over a piece of paper. Can you really afford to have your children sitting at home in front of a TV for a whole holiday instead of them getting some form of job or work experience, internship, whatever it may be? We have to rethink these things a little. I'd love for you to talk to your peers talk to them and you know ask people that own businesses and ask them what are they actually looking for when they are employing people so let's just do a bit more research into the routes that we should be pursuing to educate our children my peoples i need you to reach out to sandra on social media at indini media or sandra.chuma tell her you heard her on the africana woman podcast and please show her some love thank you so much for making us part of your day by listening in i truly appreciate you and please help me get the word out about the africana woman podcast all you have to do is take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your social media stories and don't forget to tag me at chulu design I love to see your feedback. Now, you guys know I play in Instagram. <laughs> if you want to chat with me personally, drop me a line. So until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Volendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.